Good morning, Trinity. My name is Doug, and I'm the interim lead pastor here. And I would like to have you imagine something with me this morning. I'd like to have you imagine that you are Sundar Pichai, the CEO of Google. Okay, so just change your identity for just a moment or two. And this morning, you have actually an amazing, critical announcement to make to the world. This is an announcement that is going to finally and actually create global peace. So you're excited about it. It's, it's news that is life-changing. It is actually life-saving. And, and the question is, how are you going to make that announcement to the world this week? I mean, you've, you've done amazing things with Google. You've got Google uh, Chromecast, uh, Google Web Search, Google Glasses. You've got uh, Google Maps and even a quantum computer, um, Sycamore. So you've done amazing things. How are you going to make this announcement to the world? Think about that for a second. What would you do? Would you buy airtime on every um, major world TV channel? Would you use TikTok or Instagram? Would you speed up the development of Google Fiber Wireless and send out an email to every town and nation and city and person? How would you get this message out? Would you hire a firm to push the message? What would you do? Because would you agree with me, this is, this is kind of a really big announcement, global peace. How many of you want global peace this morning? Can I see your hands? Okay, well, that's most of you. That's good. <laughs> this is something the world wants. And imagine that you have the, not only the ability, but you have created the capacity for this. Now, we all know, we all sense the reality that no person no company, no nation is ever going to be able to make that announcement to the world. Henry Wordsworth Longfellow wrote during the American Civil War, two years after he lost his wife, he wrote the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And the second stanza says, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to man. Now that song ends a whole lot better than that, but... We know in our hearts this isn't something mankind can manipulate or create, but the reality is that God has the ability to make this proclamation. In fact, he did make this proclamation to the world. And the question for him was, how do I make this proclamation? A peace on earth, goodwill to men. This morning we find that announcement in Luke chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I invite you to open them to Luke chapter 2 where we find the story of the shepherds. And I want to read for us this morning verses 1 through 14. We'll put them up on the screen in the ESV if you'd like to follow along. And I want you to hear how God makes this pronunciation of global peace. It's so important for us to understand this morning as just people who know that we can't create it, but God can. So starting in verse 1, it says, in those days, a decree went out from, from Caesar Augustus that all the world, all the Roman Empire should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Sirius. And, and they all went to be registered, each to his own place, his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of Bethlehem, the city of David, which he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while we were there, the time came for her to give birth. 
And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel says to them, fear not, for I behold you good, I, I for uh, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I want you to notice that unlike the approach a lot of people or companies might take today to get out this kind of global message, God takes a very different tact. In fact, he, he takes a very shocking tact in presenting this information. He chooses to proclaim the message of global world peace in a very remote location and to some very insignificant people. He chose Bethlehem. Folks, you have to understand, this is a backwater, podunk, pit stop of a place, six miles from Jerusalem. It's a tiny little town. But he picks Bethlehem, and he chooses shepherds of all people, shepherds, this group of no-name entrepreneurs who live in the fields for, for months at a time, and they rarely took baths. And they had reputations for lying and cheating and stealing from those they encountered. In fact, in Jewish law, they were prohibited from testifying in court because everyone thought everything they said was a lie. And, and Jewish people were warned by their religious leaders, do not buy wool, milk, or goats from these people because obviously they were stolen. These men had no global contacts. They had no trademark uh, business presence, no LinkedIn accounts. They were shepherds, blue-collar workers in a disreputable trade. They were like the people who come to your house to work on the sewer, and you're very thankful they're there, but you're not going to give them a hug or shake their hands afterwards, right? God comes to these guys, and he presents this message. So by all human standards, this is not the place, this is not the people that you would normally pick for this kind of message. But Luke tells us, and he gives us three things to, to uh, consider this morning as we think about this voice of Christmas. And he says, number one, God, God often works in ways that are mysterious to us. And it even comes to, when it comes to his message of salvation and global peace, God uses mysterious ways. I love how Paul confirms this in 1 Corinthians 1. You'll see this up on the screen. He says in verses 26 through 29, 
For consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Think about your introduction into the faith and to the gospel message. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And these shepherds were shocked when God showed up and entrusted his message to them. They had no idea that God was going to do this in their lives that night. Look back at verses 8 through 10. It says, in the same region, this is Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And notice, they were filled with great fear. This was not expected. So late one night, you can just imagine, after the sheep have, have all been settled down for the night, the last of the tuna noodle casserole and dishes have been cleaned up, all of the s'mores are gone, the campfire is settling down into coals, suddenly and dramatically, this angel of God shows up. I like how the original language says, he appeared very close to them. It's, it's the Greek word, ephistomy. Literally, to stand near them. So if you get this image of them up in the sky far away, it's the wrong image. The Greek says, no, he was standing right near them, and suddenly he just appears. Beam me down, Scotty. Boom, he's there. And it says God's glory uh, radiated around them. In the original language, it's the word paralampo, meaning around, and this brilliance is encircling them, radiating around them with light. It's the glory of God. And folks, this is the same glory of God that showed up on Mount Sinai when Moses was receiving the Ten Commandments. God doesn't change his glory. This angel shows up and the glory of God is shining around them. Listen to what it says in Exodus 24. Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And it covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, God calls out to Moses out of the midst of the cloud and the appearance of the glory of the Lord, here's what it looked like, was like a devouring, engulfing fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Think back to the fires here in Ukaipa, just what, a couple years ago, two or three years ago, up on the mountains, it was like Mordor. And you could see the flames up there, 20, 30 feet high, and they're whipping around, and there's this withering blast of heat and this whirling dervishes of flame and heat and smoke. That's what's happening around these shepherds. This is not a calm moment in their life. Blood pressure has shot up. And they are thinking, what is happening here? There's this angel in front of us. He's giving us this incredible message. And it's no wonder they were terrified and shocked, right? No wonder. He delivers to them this amazing message. Let me read through it slowly again so you can hear it. He says, fear not. Yes, I can see your wet garments Slack jaws, bulging eyes, fear not. For I bring you good news of great joy. This is going to leave you tingling and intensely glad. And it's news that will be for all the people. It'll be so great that you can't keep it to yourself. It's going to be oozing out of every conversation you have, every thought that you keep. And he says, for unto you, and notice, he doesn't just say for unto Mary and Joseph. He says, for unto you, 
is born this day in the city of David a baby. Wow! Wait, 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 hold on, wait. A baby? That's the source of this great joy and news? And you can just see the angel. Yeah, yeah, that's right, it's a baby. But this is not just any ordinary kid. Look at verses 10 through 11, the description of this baby. And I want you to notice, this is in the present tense. It's not he will be, it is he is. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, and here's the descriptors, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Three specific descriptors. And folks, you don't hear this combination of descriptive titles in the New Testament for anyone else. It's only right here of this baby born in Bethlehem. He's a savior, literally a deliverer. If you go back to the Old Testament, to the book of Judges, and you look at it in the Greek translation, the Septuagint, the same exact word is used for Jesus as is used for Othniel and Ehud and Barak and Gideon and Samson. He's a deliverer, one who will save his people from their sins. And he's the Christ. This is the word, the Messiah, literally the anointed one. And in in the Jewish culture, there were only two kinds of people anointed, right? Do you remember who they are? Kings and priests. Kings to rule, priests to cleanse. He is the anointed one. And then he's given a title that is even greater. He is the Lord, the kurios, the owner, the master, the ruler. In fact, the Old Testament Greek translation uses this term literally for Jehovah himself, for Yahweh himself. Hey, guys, Yahweh has arrived in the manger. Can you imagine what they were thinking? What? This is incredible, amazing. So this is not just uh, an ordinary child. And he is these things in the present tense, not he will be. So this announcement stuns uh, the shepherds. But God is not done through this angel electrifying their perspective. He says, yeah, this sudden appearance and and the surrounding uh, glory of God shocked them. His description of the baby being born as the living God who would be a deliverer, a king, and truly Yahweh himself rocked their world, but he, re- he re- um, reveals to them how to locate him, where to find him. And this, along with the affirmation of a host of angels, knocks them on their heels. Oh, this is amazing. So Luke points out to us, first of all, God often works in ways that are mysterious to us, even when it comes to his message of grace and salvation. God does things differently than we would think. But secondly, Luke points out in verses 10 through 14, he says, God often uses everyday things to lead us to his source of salvation and peace. God takes everyday things in your life and things in my life, and he says, I'm going to use those to bring you to a greater sense of who I am, of what I'm doing, and of what you can have in relationship with me. So verse 10 says, And the angel said to them, Fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You can hear their ears perking up. Oh, you're actually going to tell us a specific bit of information that's going to guide us. This is going to be a sign for you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. They were very familiar with that kind of stuff. In fact, these were terms that came right out of their culture, the shepherding culture. So God speaks to them in everyday words that they were used to, and it says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, and listen to the message, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, anyone familiar with the Old Testament and with the Jewish temple worship of the day would have known that Bethlehem was to the temple what Costco is to Redlands. <laughs> All right, so think about that. Costco is the place to go for Christmas baskets, right? You're going to give a gift. You're going to a party. They've got great baskets. Costco is the place you go for big screen TVs. Great deals. If something breaks, you can take it back. They have a great return uh, policy. Bethlehem was the place to go for rabbinically approved sacrificial lambs. All right? Bethlehem is six miles from Jerusalem, the closest town to Jerusalem. The hills are beautifully designed for lambs and for shepherding. And so you find around Bethlehem thousands and thousands of lambs that are destined for use in the ritual temple worship. This is where the priests would send for a rabbinically approved lamb. So think about it this way. According to the Torah, there were two lambs required for sacrifice every day in the temple. One in the morning, one in the evening. So that's 730 lambs that you needed throughout the course of the year. But in addition to that, they have all these Jewish festivals like Passover and Yom Kippur where lambs are needed as well. And then... If you have committed a sin against God, against Yahweh, you have to go find a rabbinically approved lamb from your own flock or from one at Bethlehem to bring to the temple the sacrifice for your sin. Now, I don't, I don't think I go a day without sinning. I'll be honest with you. There are so many ways I should be doing things or things I shouldn't do that I would be taking a lot of lambs to the temple. Right? I would want a pretty good-sized flock, and so would you. But if you didn't have that, you would have to go to the temple and say, I will pay for one. It came from Bethlehem. So what's amazing is that while these shepherds are very simple, we would also sense that they are screened. They are taught by the uh, temple priests on what does a perfect lamb look like? What will we accept here from your flocks? And so they would have had this information uh, carefully instructed by the priests of what that should be like. Their job was to make sure that their flocks were presentable for sacrifice. So there was not a mix-up when somebody came out for a sheep and goes, Hey, this isn't. This is blemished. This has got something wrong with it. Folks, can you see how this was the perfect place to announce the birth of the perfect Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world? Isn't this a beautiful picture of how God works? He takes everyday, typical, run-of-the-mill people who have a connection to what he's doing, and he says, I want to present to you a simple way that you can engage with the kingdom of God. You shepherds can connect to the Messiah. What a great group of men to welcome the Savior. What a great place to have this child born, so close to the shepherds, 
and close to the place where they uh, frequently spent time. It's so interesting to me that if you look at Jewish oral tradition, if you look uh, at some of the writings like, uh, for, for instance, Oxford scholar Alfred Edersheim, who wrote The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah. He wrote about the temple practices of the Jews. They describe a time and a place that God chose to use that was very close to these shepherds. In fact, the prophet Micah uh, writes about this very thing in his book. And remember that Micah is the prophet who is saying to the people of Israel, you guys have so offended God and so rejected him, you're going into captivity. But the day will come when you will come back and God will provide you with a Davidic king, a king who will rule over you. And so Micah 4, 6 through 8 says, In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion, that's Jerusalem, from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock. Now that's an interesting title, and actually location. In the Hebrew, it's called Migdol Eder. He says, you tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion, King David's rule, shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Micah picks out a place close to Bethlehem, close to Jerusalem, an actual tower used by shepherds, the tower of the flock. And he says, to you it shall come, David's rule and reign, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now, most of you are also familiar with Micah 5, which goes on and says, but from you, O Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore, therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Who is that woman? Mary. Micah is looking forward. He doesn't name her, but he says this is going to be in Bethlehem. The one who is in labor is going to give birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Micah, hundreds of years in advance of this moment, writes about a tower which the shepherds were very familiar with. This is where they would go to have their lambs checked off the list. Yes, this one is rabbinically acceptable. They would tie its legs with... Uh, Sparganoa, strips of cloth to make sure it wasn't injured in the examination. They had it in a manger, what they called a fetain there. They would place the lamb in that. They would wrap it. The priest would come out. Yeah, this one's good. Great. It's going back in my flock. It's ready for you guys whenever you need it. Micah says, this is the place where you will find the child, the ruler of all of Israel, who will bring peace to the world through himself. I want to remind us this morning that God oftentimes uses everyday things in our lives, things with which we are very familiar and comfortable. He uses them to guide us into ways of greater love for him, greater awareness of what he's doing, greater service to the kingdom of God, so that we can participate with him in the peace that he provides. Let me give you a couple of examples. It may be that as a parent, you have a child who is entering elementary school. And you think to yourself, 
This is a great time. I've been teaching them at home. I now want others to help me teach them as they go into elementary school. I've got to pick the right school for them to be in. Are they going to homeschool? Are they going to be in public, private? You begin to think about how do I help them walk with God? And then one day you hear that Trinity Kids needs more partners in ministry to train elementary kids to know God better. And you go, well, gosh, that's a no-brainer. I'm going to go help out with that. And so God, through a very simple thing of wanting your child to grow in faith in Christ, takes you to a place of greater service and awareness of what he is doing. It may be that your financial advisor says to you at the end of the year, hey, you need to reduce uh, your 2023 taxes, so why don't you take some of your non-performing stocks, sell them, and give them to a nonprofit? And, and then you hear a couple of weeks ago about Trinity's debt elimination campaign. You go, this is a no-brainer, of course. This is a place where I can build the kingdom of God and help Trinity. And so God uses this simple conversation to guide you into greater effectiveness for the kingdom of God. It may be that you just wrapped up your last semester uh, at college, and you're finally home for the Christmas break, right? This is great. And your folks sit down with you, and they say, hey, your grandparents have called, and they've got a financial gift they want to give you this year. It's going to help with schooling next year. And at that point, you hear about Advent conspiracy. And you go, gosh, getting the young adults to this uh, discipleship retreat, man, that's on my heart. Or you hear about the uh, Kurdish language and, and writing a book for uh, married couples, and you say, that catches my attention. And you take a portion of that and you give it to that. And God takes a simple conversation, a grandparent's wish, and says, hey, give to Advent Conspiracy. And by the way, this week, Advent Conspiracy is fully funded, right? <laughs> Praise God. So those of you who were moved by these simple projects, some here locally, some globally, God said, let me take this simple thing and a simple gift from you and let's do something great together. I love how God does that. It may be that you're at the empty nest stage and you say, well, that was no simple thing to get to this point, right? That took a lot of work, man. But I'm at the empty nest stage and um, kids have moved on gone to college, gotten married, whatever it might be. One Sunday, you're out on the patio, and you connect with a hospitality partner, and you realize, man, they're doing really amazing, fun, good things. I want to be a part of that. I've now got the time. I'm going to join that. And so again, just a, a very simple thing leads us to engaging with something great that God is doing. I'll give you one last one. I'm on a roll. <laughs> Let's say that you receive a Christmas bonus from your workplace, and you say to yourself, you know, this is great. It's well-deserved. I'm, I'm excited about it, but it's not essential to my economic well-being. And you hear from Trinity that, hey, Trinity needs to close its books in the black this year, and it needs about $475,000 to do that. You know what? I'm going to be a small part of that, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to make a difference with the on-campus ministries, and you do. And, and you could go through one thing after another of how God uses the everyday things in our lives to push us toward involvement with what he's doing. And they're gentle, and they're good. I love how in this story, God takes not only this affirmation of the simple things, but he illustrates it with the arrival of a battalion of his best military men to affirm it. Take a look back at verse 13. Suddenly... 
That means without warning. You've got one angel, and suddenly a multitude of the heavenly host appear. The word multitude refers to six to 10,000. Imagine going from one to that. And again, very near you, the glory of God is still burning around you. The term host here, strateia, is a military term. It's a strategic military force. This is God's army rangers, green berets, and navy seals showing up. This is what his angels were, his military warriors. And they're praising God. But notice, too, they're not singing. How often do you think of the choir of heaven as standing there singing to you, right? It says, and they are saying, chanting, shouting together, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Six to 10,000. In your face, heavenly warriors. That would get your attention. And their point is simply this. This moment is bringing God glory. This event, this child, this arrival changes human history and it's going to bring peace on earth to whom God is pleased. Those who participate with him receive this peace. It's an offer. Paul tells us in Colossians 1.15, listen to this, it's up on the screen. Such an important passage for us as Christians today. He is the image, this is Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn doesn't mean he actually was created at some point, it means he is the one who has the emphasis. He's one of a kind, there is no other like him. You could use the word unique there, the unique of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And notice this last part. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Man, that announcement by the angel and by Paul should send a chill down the spine and and produce an explosion of hope and joy in our hearts that God would do this for us. So the question then becomes, how do I respond to a message like that? How did the shepherds respond to this message? That brings us to Luke's third point for us this morning. Notice it in verses 15 through 20. God uses ordinary people, not just circumstances, but ordinary people to share his great news of salvation and peace. God wants to use you and I to do the same. Notice verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven. What a moment that must have been, by the way. What a moment when the noise and the fire and the heart-thumping presence of of heaven's armed hosts disappear. Silence descends. You're back alone in the hills of Bethlehem. The shepherds said to one another, Hey, Let's go over to Bethlehem 
and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Notice you should underline this thing. It doesn't say this child. It says this thing, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all, so this is not just now Mary and Joseph, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned to the field, glorifying and praising. By the way, that's the exact same term the angels have describing them. Their praise of God, same term, they're praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And they do four things. These are the things God wants us to be doing at Christmas. So take notes carefully. Number one, they felt a strong curiosity. Strong curiosity. They say, let us go over to Bethlehem and, and see this thing that has happened. They recognized this wasn't just the birth of a baby king. It was something greater. It was a totally new work of God. Let's go see this thing that has happened. So they didn't just say, wow, that was amazing. Anybody up for a game of Uno and a midnight snack? No, they marveled. Their interest was piqued. They broke out of their routine. They stoked the fires of, of wonder that were ignited by the angels. They, they chose to move beyond the everyday to just being entertained by the angels. And, and they resisted the urge to just be consumers of God's reality. Wow, that was a great message. Uh, let's, uh, let's get some rest. No, they felt a sense of curiosity. Secondly, they acted with urgency. Look at verse 16. They went with haste. They're grabbing staffs and maybe a, a bag, and they're running down the road to Bethlehem. They didn't put this off till the next morning. They didn't say, hey, this, you know, it's nighttime, and the sheep need protecting. No. While they had important things to do, they said, there is nothing greater than this. And they were compelled to act without a moment to waste. They had this sense of urgency. There's an interesting website called lifeoptimizer.org. Listen to what they say about urgency. Once someone is trapped in the comfort zone, he loses the sense of urgency. Pause there for a minute. Once we are in the comfort zone of life, we lose this sense of urgency. There is no reason, it says, for him to work hard and excel. He falls prey to the trap of mediocrity. Perhaps this is the reason why many family businesses can't succeed beyond the third or fourth generation. The younger generations are already in the comfort zone. They've lost that sense of urgency owned by the first generations. This also explains why many people do not grow or grow only slowly in their life. So if there is a lesson we, concern, we can learn, that will be this. To be highly productive, we should introduce a sense of urgency into our lives. God has done that for you in this passage. You don't have to go looking for a sense of urgency. He says to us, act on what I have just told you. Someone has said, live every day as if it were going to be your last, because someday you'll be right. Someday you'll be right. So act with urgency every single day. Folks, we should be asking ourselves regularly, am I living with a sense of urgency to grow spiritually? 
Am I deeply concerned about that aspect of my life? Is there a hunger in my life, a fire in my belly to be more like Jesus? Am I an individual who spends a lot of time and activities on other things that really truly have no eternal value? Or am I a person who is engaged in urgent pursuit of Jesus Christ in my small group, in discipleship, in service, in reading the word of God, in the ministries of my church? Am I truly engaged? I had a Biola student write to me not too long ago, and they said, is it ever right for a Christian to be comfortable? And I thought about that, And I finally wrote back to them, and I said, you know, God never encourages his people to be comfortable, but he always encourages us to be comforted. And there's a big difference. Our past is forgiven. Our future is assured. Our present is empowered. I believe it is the job of every pastor in this nation and around the world to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. So if you're here this morning and you're comfortable, my job is to afflict you with the word of God. To get under your skin, to prompt you to live differently because the kingdom of God is worth it. Amen. I had a good friend who never said amen. He always said, right on. I like that. Folks, we are on the business of the king. And we are to urgently share his message of peace and new life as we pass through this world with all who will listen. So these men felt a curiosity. These men felt an urgency. Thirdly, they spoke with a fervency. Listen to their words in verses 17 through 19. And when they had saw it, what did they see? The manger, swaddling clothes, Mary and Joseph, the baby, When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. What was that message? It was very simple. It was, well, number one, angels showed up. The glory of God was burning around us. Secondly, we heard good news from God. It made us burst with joy and hopeful for world peace. A deliverer has been born, Christ the king, the priest, Yahweh himself, we found him in the manger, swaddled like a lamb, like a sacrificial lamb, and we can have peace with God and others through him. Do you know what that is? That's the pre-gospel message. If you add to that the crucifixion of Christ and his resurrection, you've got the complete message. The arrival of Jesus Christ. And notice the outcome. Notice in your text, how did people respond? They marveled. They wondered. This was early morning hours that the shepherds have gone to the manger, seen that it was true. Everything was just as the angel said. And now they're spreading through Bethlehem. And what are they doing? At people's front doors. You ever get one of those 1.30 in the morning phone calls? It's like, whoa, who is calling me? And people are going to the door. And the shepherds, these guys that nobody really trusted are sharing this amazing message. And people are standing back marveling. Wow, this is amazing news. And and so these guys become the first century newsies, the ones who are going around telling everyone of the message of God. So folks, let me ask you this morning, are you one of God's newsies? Have you heard the message? Is it real to you? Does it give you hope and peace and joy? Do you speak to others about this message of a deliverer who has come to give the world peace? Has your curiosity been piqued? 
has that merged into urgency and resulted in fervency in the way you talk about it? Because, folks, it absolutely should. Absolutely should. And there was one last thing. I want you to notice verse 20. They worshiped God with certainty. The angels returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Not a detail was missing. Not a word was in error. And their message to all of it is to simply step back and glorify and praise God because it was all just as they had been told. Folks, do you realize this is God's modus operandi? He always pays attention to detail. He is never sloppy in his work. He arrives on time for every single need. He fully keeps his word. We can count on everything God has said to be true and accurate, reliable, and trustworthy. And that's why Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, and he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus didn't come to get rid of the Old Testament. So if you're a Christian today who says, I don't really need the Old Testament, I'm kind of a New Testament Christian, you're wrong. Because the Old Testament points to Jesus. The Old Testament fulfills all the prophecies of Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament prepares us for Jesus. It's like failing to read the first half of a really great novel. And you, get, you start in the middle and you go, gosh, I have no idea what's going on in this story. We need the Old Testament. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish it. I have not come to get rid of it, but to fulfill it. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. Do you guys know what those are? In the Hebrew language, an iota and a dot are punctuation marks. It'd be like saying in English, not a period or a comma is going to be failed. Wow. All of this is going to come to pass. It will pass. Uh, Not one of it will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And the reality of that, of the certainty of God's word, the reality of God's faithfulness, the reality that we can trust his message, folks, this is what produces worship. They glorified and they praised God. Do you realize it's not the job of our worship team to cause us to worship? That's not their job. Their job is to lead us in the worship we have brought with us. So that when you and I come to church... We're not coming to expect to be lifted up. We are coming already excited about what God is doing. Why? Because his word has been faithful to us throughout the week, and we are depending on all of his promises and all of his great truths, and we come excited, glorifying and praising God, because everything was just as it has been said. Would that change the dynamic of most churches in our country today? If people came not concerned about, is my favorite song going to be sung? And I have my favorite songs, right? I think we all do. We come from a point of already worshiping God. And I'll be honest with you, I had little kids at one time, they're grown now. I know what a struggle it is to come with our families. But when we take time to prepare ourselves, whether we put on a Christian song for the kids on the way in, or we pray on the way in, or we talk about something God has taught us this week, when we begin to prepare our minds to be here to worship God, then worship erupts. By the way, this is what we're doing on our December 31st family, uh, family service. We are coming to worship God for all that he has done this year and for what he wants to do in our lives this next year. So let me close with this. 
We've covered a lot of ground here. I just want us to take a moment at the end of this service and have all of us just bow our heads quietly, privately, and celebrate and praise our great God who has come in human flesh, the deliverer, the king, the priest, Yahweh himself, to deliver us from our sins and give us peace. So would you bow your heads for just a moment? We're going to give you just about a minute, not a lot more, but what has God said to you lately that has created in you this sense of hope and joy and peace and created a curiosity and an urgency and a fervency to speak it with others? What is God doing in your heart and life right now? Would you take a minute and just talk to him? Father God, I, I confess to you that I, I want to end up at the beginning of my day, somewhere in the course of my day, to be like these shepherds, to be glorifying and praising God for all that you have said to me, all you have spoken into my life. And I'll be honest with you, Father, and with everyone here this morning, I don't, I don't always reach that point in my life, but God, that is what I want to be able to do every day. And God, I believe that you are speaking to us this morning. You're speaking into the hearts and the minds of every person who is here, everyone listening online. And you are speaking to us and challenging us. And you're saying, what are you curious about this Christmas? What are the things of God that, that pique your interest? Are you pursuing them with an urgency? Are you sharing with others with a fervency what you are learning and you're, you're developing a greater sense of his reliability. Folks, this morning, have you heard his offer of peace and joy through knowing Jesus? Have you accepted that gift from God? It's a free gift. No man can earn it. He offers it freely through the person of Jesus Christ. And he says, will you find new life and new peace? His method, his approach is simply to acknowledge we need a Savior we need a deliverer. We need peace in our hearts and in the world today. And there's only one person who brings that to us, and that is Jesus Christ. So he says to us this morning, come, respond to me, know me. And to help us with that, we'll close with worship this morning. Amen.